Gravestone Flowers, a Cobra Kai fan fiction written by Minocchio, read by Gorilla's Gal 86. Rating Mature. Relationships Daniel LaRusso slash Johnny Lawrence, Miguel Diaz and Johnny Lawrence, Daniel LaRusso and Samantha LaRusso. Part 1 Chapters 1 through 10. Chapter 1 The First Day of the Rest of Their Lives, 1990. On the first day of the rest of their lives, which happens to be a Saturday, Daniel wakes up to a hungover Johnny. Oh, look at this. It must be a bad one. He says, rolling on top of the other man. He crooks his knee, drags his toe up the pinch point of his ankle, sets about with an aim to be as annoying as possible. Don't you usually sweat it out through exercising? Sure you don't want to do some sit-ups, maybe go run a few miles? Why are you talking? Asks Johnny, not opening his eyes. His face is tensed but his hand creeps up to rest over the swell of his ass anyway, because even when in pain, he likes touching Daniel, his body automatically seeking comfort, or the memory of it anyway. Daniel should be more sympathetic here, but unlike Johnny, he's feeling pretty good, and anyway, the other man kind of brought it on himself. Should have drank more water, he says, sotto voce. He bends down to rest his lips on the tip of his chin. He follows it up with a light bite, dragging his front teeth over the bristling stubble. Or, you know, not drink ten-plus beers. I hear that works wonders. Please, whimpers Johnny, squeezing his eyes tight. Daniel turns his face along his jawline, keeps kissing. Please what? he murmurs. Please, shut up. And he squeezes Daniel's ass like he might get his point across better that way. But all this does is make Daniel's dick more interested in morning sex. It's a tragedy is what it is. Shakespeare could never. Johnny in his bed, but not in the mood. What a goddamn shame. Daniel tucks a smile into the crook of his neck and is quiet for a few minutes, reveling in the solid warmth of the other man. All right, how about I make you breakfast? He asks and rolls his eyes when this garners a somewhat desperate nonverbal sound of, Yes, please, anything for you to leave me alone just now? He can wait a few hours before trying again. They've got all the time in the world. Johnny's not going anywhere. Chapter 2 Johnny wakes up to the loud rattle of the lock-up door rolling open and the guard announcing he can go. He grimaces and pushes up from the hard bench. His body doesn't approve of this. It aches, the kind of full-body stiffness he knows he'll be feeling for a while. He claps a hand to the back of his neck, 
bracing his head as he shuffles forward past the guard, out of the cell, the building. He stands in front of the station, squinting under the bright morning sunlight, and is momentarily overcome with the tedious and long steps stretching out before him. The cab to the mini-mart to get his car, the drive back to his apartment, the search for a new job, and all this, all this, so he can keep doing the same thing he's been doing, which is nothing. He flips open his phone to dial the cab company. As he listens to the ringing, his tired eyes find the store across the street, the Budweiser sign in the window. Yeah, he says into the phone when the call connects. I need a lift. The kid's like waiting for him when he gets back. Johnny trains his eyes ahead and tries to keep walking, but he's never been good at this kind of thing with homeless people, so why would he be good at it with annoying neighbor kids? It's like he's got something stamped on his forehead, or maybe there's a siren going off at a frequency only pathetic people can hear. I am one of you. Talk to me. Tell me your story. But Johnny doesn't want to know anybody's story. Johnny doesn't want to talk to people. I just wanted to say thank you, goes the kid, almost breathless with the want, apparently. Uh-huh, he says uneasy. Well, you said it. Now please leave me alone. Leave me alone. The kid does not leave him alone. He dogs his steps and asks brightly, So last night, was that like taekwondo or jiu-jitsu or MMA or something? He feels a distant, offended pull, old contempt for the flashy new fads. Karate, he says shortly, crossing to his mailbox. Old school karate. Do you think you could teach me? What? No. The exchange goes downhill from there. The kid is obviously doomed. He has all the survival instincts of a turtle trying to cross the 405 at rush hour. Who watches a guy take out a bunch of punk kids and go, Oh yeah, him! Johnny tells him to try to stop being annoying, but it's half-hearted advice. People can't really change who they are. In his apartment, there is a stranger sitting on his couch. He looks at her in confusion. Who the hell are you? The little red stickers, says a very familiar voice that makes his heart perform a slow, spiraling sink. That say further reduced? You know, these packages you have in here. What the fuck? Says Johnny, and the girl's eyes widen. She hurriedly puts her eyes back on her phone and keeps swiping. Daniel's head appears above the top of the open fridge door. He looks at Johnny, all keen eyes and neatly combed hair, and says helpfully, You're eating bad meat. And no, Johnny trudges across the room without a word, pulling his shirt over his head. It smells of the jail cell, and he can't be quicker about throwing it in the hamper. The girl must be her, the daughter. Jesus Christ. He grabs a shirt at random and hauls it over his aching shoulders, buttons it part way before giving up. When he returns to the other room, Daniel has seated himself at the kitchen table. His dark eyes follow his progress around the kitchen counter to the freezer, which Johnny opens to grab a bag of frozen peas. 
He slaps it behind his head and bites back a sigh as the cold leeches down into his skin and sore muscles. If he was alone, he'd rest his forehead against the fridge and stand like that for a while. What are you doing here? He asks the floor instead, turning his hip against the counter. He wonders if the girl is looking at him, if she even knows who he is or why her father is here. Why would he bring her along? Who do you think bailed you out? Great. 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 He nods to the floor, half shrugs. Didn't really ask for that. Right, says Daniel blandly. Because otherwise, these things will just happen. And yeah, they kind of just do. Daniel was always so weird about some things, like fights and cops. I would have figured something out. He says, and he hates how it comes out, sullen already. He used to be so cool. What happened to that guy? Daniel LaRusso happened. Then Daniel LaRusso stopped happening. He looks really good. Look, what do you want, man? He asks, finally raising his eyes and squinting at him. Are you here to set up a payment plan or something? Want to know when I'll pay you back? Daniel stands and his hands go automatically to his suit jacket, buttoning. Johnny watches his fingers slip over the buttons and remembers the first suit the man bought back when he landed his first sales job. Well, what do you think? He'd asked, spreading his arms and turning slowly. For a moment, there was a complete stranger standing in their bedroom. He looked more like himself after Johnny hooked an ankle around his calf and tripped him back onto the bed, and he never looked more like himself than when under Johnny. Like you better naked, he said. Can't sell cars naked. Has anybody tried? Call this a welfare check, says Daniel, superiority brimming. I made a promise, and I intend to keep it. Johnny flushes slowly. This is humiliating. Yeah, well, I'm fine. You've kept your bullshit promise. It was nice seeing you. Not. And now you can leave, okay? He makes a mistake of finally meeting his eyes, is the problem. And it doesn't matter if it's been a couple years or ten minutes since they've last seen each other. This one thing is always the same. Johnny can read him. He can read every last drop of frustration and concern and irritation shining out from those big brown eyes. And as always, it's too much. Too much emotion coming in the wrong direction. I'm fine, he says again, throat dry. He wants to cough, but it would be a tell. You were just arrested for assaulting some minors, says Daniel and you look broke. I'm not broke. No? He looks around the apartment, expression not hiding a thing. You'd never guess, looking at him, looking at it, that he'd once lived in worse, that he hadn't always wore the expensive cologne or nice wristwatch. What are you doing for work these days anyway? Surprised you didn't look up my tax return, he mutters. Danny LaFex mild surprise. You're filing your taxes these days. Over Daniel's shoulder, the daughter is looking increasingly discomfited. 
and Johnny can't say what he'd like to say because of her presence. But he also can't stand another second of this compassionate condescension, which is why he ends up saying what he does say, what kicks off the whole mess, which is, actually, I'm opening a karate dojo. I've already got a student and everything. Chapter 3 Daniel's expression is unreadable, which basically means he is surprised and kind of pissed about it. He doesn't like Johnny surprising him, or thinks he doesn't anyway. He hadn't gone down easy back in the day. It was basically that classic American story about the obsessed guy chasing the really big fish, Daniel the Jaws to Johnny's Roy Schneider. Or maybe Johnny was the other guy, the one who didn't make it, got eaten. A karate dojo, repeats Daniel. He tries to push the sides of his jacket back up to put his hands on his hips, forgetting he's already buttoned them together. His hands twitch and fall against his thighs instead, fingers curling. Yeah, says Johnny, straightening against the counter, putting his shoulders back despite the ache. Yeah, you're not the only one who still does it, you know. Except, I guess, I'll actually be doing it, and you'll just be pretending. Chopping the competition. Kicking. Daniel bites out. Whatever. They smile sarcastically at each other, and Johnny feels better already. Always trust the instincts. They never lead him astray. Except for the state of his whole life. But a lot of that is coincidence. Daniel heaves in a breath, and his smile relaxes into something much more fake. So, what's it called? And when Johnny only stares at him, uncomprehending, Your new dojo. Surely it has a name. The first name that leaps to mind is the obvious one. But there's needling his ex, and then there's pushing him off a ledge. If Johnny tried to bring Cobra Kai back to the valley, he'd never hear the end of it. Daniel would lecture him for ages, and when that yielded the predictable results, he'd probably try to get him shut down in the name of public health and safety, maybe even do something insane like start his own dojo. Suddenly they'd be facing each other at the All Valley again, in their 50s and about to make a scene in front of a room full of strangers. So basically, it would be like 2010 all over again. The whole nightmare flashes through Johnny's head in less than a second, and his headache immediately worsens. Meanwhile, Daniel watches him expectantly. Yeah, it's... Uh... And he casts his mind back at the neighbor kid. Crossing Turtle Karate. Daniel blinks, lashes falling slow and expressive. Crossing Turtle, he says. Karate. Johnny resets the peas over his neck and nods. What is that supposed to even mean? It's for kids like my, my student. You know, special cases? His eyebrows jump. Jesus, Johnny, you're not teaching. It's for pathetic losers. He interrupts with emphasis. Who can't defend themselves. Like last night. That kid was getting his ass kicked, and you should have seen the punks who were doing the kicking. Even the bullies these days are soft. Swear one of them probably can't even run 50 meters and the other one had stupid hair. Okay, okay. 
says Daniel, nodding and looking almost relieved. I get it. Johnny narrows his eyes. You do. He spreads his hands. Yeah, I get it. You're just doing what you always do. Just making shit up as you go along. That's not what I'm doing. He says shortly, turning to throw the dripping bag of peas into the sink. Daniel always thinks he knows everything. It's suffocating. The voice at his back says, No? So you expect me to believe you're actually starting a karate dojo? And when Johnny only stares at him and widens his eyes a little, Okay. Okay, Johnny. So where is it? Haven't landed on a location yet. He says stiffly. Right. Early days. Lots of planning before you can open. But you have your business paperwork filed, right? Insurance company picked out. And God, he just keeps going. Johnny presses his mouth tight and walks past him, crossing the room. The girl on the sofa shrinks down in place, eyes fixed on her phone, like she might text her way out of existing. If it's possible, he'd love to know. Might convince him to finally pick one of those things up. He gets to the door and yanks it open and looks back at Daniel, who is saying something terrible about payment processors and health codes. All right, he says loudly. Get out. Daniel stops talking, shuts his mouth. He'd begun to look like he was enjoying himself, which is, of course, around the time Johnny usually needs to get away from him. Now the humor fades from his face entirely, and he's just a man fidgeting in another man's kitchen. Johnny puts his eyes in the middle distance and waits as the other man collects himself. Come on, Sam, he says quietly, heading for the door, and the girl can't be faster in bolting up from the sofa. Johnny hopes she's going out for some kind of sport. Daniel passes him, but he pauses on the doorstep, mouth fighting his mind. A lost cause, if there ever was one, so Johnny isn't surprised when he turns his head slightly and says quietly, Don't forget your hearing date. They don't look kindly on that kind of thing, even if it's an honest mistake. I won't, he says stiffly. Not my first time, man. Daniel doesn't like this reminder. He heaves a sigh, and the slice of his profile suddenly looks tired and unhappy. And it's terrible. A burden Johnny didn't ask for or ask to be. His stomach twists, and in a second, he knows he's going to do something really stupid. Like reach out to brush the other man's wrist or something. But then he catches sight of the neighbor across the walk. Relief descends so fast, he almost becomes lightheaded. Hey! He shouts past Daniel, ignoring the slight flinch because maybe the other man's ear was slightly in the way. Hey, kid! The dark head turns, startled. He looks around at Johnny and takes an uncertain half-step forward. And God, he's so gawky. He's going to be such a disaster on the mat. We start first thing Monday morning, he says. Daniel looks between them, eyes going narrow and suspicious. But the kid really sells the moment. His whole face lights up. Like all his life, he's wanted nothing more than to be the hand-picked protege of an alcoholic, middle-aged loser. Well, maybe karate will improve his self-esteem, Johnny figures. Wait, calls the kid after a second. Uh, today's Monday. 
Daniel shuts his eyes. Obviously, I mean next Monday, says Johnny, hand-flipping along the doorknob in preparation to shut the door on this whole fucking day. Duh. Chapter 4 An encounter with Daniel was basically like an earthquake, and Johnny puts the full weight of a lifetime in California behind that comparison. Most were harmless enough, nothing more than a brief disturbance in the otherwise still air of his life. From time to time, one might knock over furniture or even crack a foundation. But there were the aftershocks a scattering of LaRusso aftershocks. The first one comes in the form of a phone call Monday afternoon. It's past four, and Johnny is celebrating the hour by cracking the seal on a fifth. He knocks some liquor into his glass and leans over to look at his phone vibrating on the table. He peers at the little display on the outside of the phone and curses. Total buzzkill. Except that implies he already had a buzz going. His buzz never stood a chance. Smothered in its cradle. No, stillborn. Miscarriage? Abortion? Never mind a condom. He didn't even get a chance to spread his legs. He flips the phone open and says, trying for a hearty, Loose! How's my girl? John. And her tone makes him immediately wince. He snatches the bottle off the counter foregoes the already poured glass, and slouches back to the armchair. I take it you talked to Daniel today, he said, and it sucks no one is around to be proud of how he says it, because he says it calm and mature and not like someone wishing he could throw his little tattletale of an ex into the Pacific Ocean. Assault, John? This is serious now. What were you thinking? Okay, wait, hold up. Assault is just the legal term. Makes it sound much worse than it was. None of those kids even broke a bone. They're fine. In any way, Luce, they deserved it. She makes a mournful, fretting sound into the phone and his stomach twists. He takes a quick, fortifying swig from the bottle and says, I think if you knew the context, you'd understand. You'd be, you'd be proud even. His voice turns coaxing. They were beating on this kid. Her voice goes sharp. Don't think you'll get me on your side with such transparent tactics. He overplayed his hand. He's tired, off his game. Fuck. Johnny slouches down low in his seat, hugging the bottle to his chest and staring at the ceiling. I wasn't lying, he says quietly. They were beating on a kid. And did you think you were making up for something by intervening? Great. So she has been watching Dr. Phil again. He takes another drink and says mutinously, Now who's being transparent? A sigh. I wish you two would just talk to each other. Johnny puts a hand on his face and endures. The second aftershock is a string of texts late Monday night. Louie. Hey, bro. Heard you punched out a 15-Y-O. Hey, it happens. Me. They weren't 15. Louie. Shit. Younger? 
me. They could drive. Louis. That's not so bad then. Louis. My cousin wouldn't shut up about it. Louis. Kept talking about lawsuits. Louis. Shit, man. You need a lawyer. Me. I have a lawyer. And Johnny wasn't lying. He totally had a lawyer, and he was totally going to make that call as soon as he woke up, or maybe tomorrow afternoon after he recovered a little. The third aftershock was his dreams that night, but he was used to those. At this point, he'd been living with them longer than he ever lived with the man they were about. Chapter 5 he actually forgets to call his lawyer until near the end of the week. Mm, not your lawyer. Not even close to my area of law, actually. And if you ever become close, I'll know it's time to hang up my JD and move to Portland. Yeah, whatever. He says into the phone. He squints at the contents of his fridge and, grimacing, gives up. He needs to go to the store at some point. Who else am I supposed to call? Aside from Daniel, of course. And he totally means it pointedly. Give me a break, Johnny. You're lucky my friend has a connection and your name popped up. What was I supposed to do? Call your asshole stepfather? He hasn't seen or heard from Sid in years. No thanks. Just anybody but him, he insists. Oh my god, if this is why you called, I'm hanging up. I'll be in touch to remind you about the hearing prep. No, wait, uh... He puts a hand over his eyes, cringing. Actually, I was wondering, what do you know about what a person needs to do to open a karate dojo? Silence. That's not a joke. Oh, believe me, I didn't think it was. Okay. He waits. A sigh. What kind of startup money are you working with? He makes a face at the wall and waits some more, reaches for a course, and swipes the cap off with his thumb. Eventually, like after it's been a while. Oh, great. Hey, I already have a student, he points out. One whole student, huh? Well, I hate to think what you're charging this kid if you expect his dues to meet commercial rent, even in Reseda. This isn't Reseda, I'm assuming. Haven't decided. He decides not to mention that he's pretty sure the kid won't be paying him. He takes a drink. This isn't one of those things, is it? Suspicious. What things? Playing dumb. You know, where you decide you want to shove something in Daniel's face, prove him wrong, etc., etc. Because if so, I'm telling you right now, Johnny, give it up. It pisses him off, the implication that he can't do anything in his life without it somehow being about Daniel. Because obviously, when has he ever been anything other than Daniel's? His boyfriend, his partner, his kind of friend, his sad sack ex. The last time he was a real person, he was doing karate. He's been thinking about it all week, and maybe this can actually be something. Actually, I'm doing this because there's a whole generation out there in need of some desperate help. He says, waving the beer in the air. Like this kid I'm going to teach. 
He's pathetic. He's poor. A lot like Daniel back in the day, come to think of it. I mean, he doesn't stand a chance out in the world. Did you just say he's poor? Uh, so much for... Wait, wait. Okay, look. I might... I might have an idea. Damn it. Let me check some things and get back to you. He shrugs at the wall. Okay. You're not planning to open anytime soon, right? If the kid's not paying him, is he technically open? Nah. All right, he says, once the kid is done awkwardly stretching. He watches Miguel climb back to his feet and shuffle into place before him on the mat. Miguel meets his eyes and smiles a little. Are you ready to begin your training? Yes, Sensei. Lesson one, strike first. Lesson two, don't try to teach an unlicensed class in the local Y. Someone sees Johnny take the kid down and immediately reports him to the YMCA staff. Chapter 6 Thanks for this, Bobby, he says, clapping the man on the shoulder as he sidles past, dragging the mat into the room. Don't thank me. Just make sure your student signs the liability waiver, says Bobby. We're hoping to get a new roof for the church soon and can't afford a lawsuit. And it's only temporary. He adds, in the same firm voice he'd once used to say things like, All right, one more drink and then we go. Johnny drops the mat to the floor and nudges it straight with his foot. He makes a dismissive sound. I don't think the kid is the lawsuit type. After the first couple of times I took him down, he started bouncing right back up again. I mean, eventually. He pauses. I think he might actually have potential. There is a lot to be said for possessing zero skills, strength, or agility, but having a willingness to ignore pain. Johnny can help Miguel with all the former, but he can't hand out endurance. Bobby folds his arms. You sound surprised. If you didn't think he had potential before, why did you agree to teach him? Johnny shrugs. Figured he either had potential or after a few lessons he'd realized how hopelessly fucked he is and learned to hide from bullies better. Either way, I was doing him a favor. I am so torn, says Bobby almost to himself. I should probably be concerned for this child, but I can't ignore how good it is to see you active again, actually interested in something. Johnny decides to ignore this. He doesn't even acknowledge it enough to shrug it off. Instead, he looks critically around the small basement Bible study room. Any chance we can cover up the Jesus? He asks, checking over his shoulder, pointing. He hadn't gone to church very often with Daniel, and he was pretty sure that wall mural didn't match crossing turtles strike first, strike hard mentality. How was Miguel supposed to learn how to punch through a man's skull with Jesus staring at him like that? So torn, says Bobby again. The next day, Johnny is waiting for Miguel to get home after school. He's in his car and he can't even blast his tunes because he needs to be inconspicuous, just in case the kid's mother or grandma happen to be watching. Apparently, he is successful. He is so stealth, 
Daniel doesn't notice him. Johnny jerks a little in his seat as the familiar figure crosses his rear view and disappears behind the corner of the apartment building. On his way to Johnny's door, for some fucked up purpose, no doubt. He hurriedly rolls down his window, sticks his head out, and hisses Daniel's name. A second later, the dark head cautiously appears at the corner again. Daniel spots him, and his brow lifts. He approaches. In his hand, a covered dish. Christ, not a covered dish. It was only one night in lockup. That's nothing. What are you doing here? Demands Johnny when he gets close. He glares at the Pyrex. What does it look like, Johnny? Daniel asks, tone outrageously insulting for a man holding a homemade casserole. He shuffles up to the window and leans an elbow against the car, looking down at him. You knew this was coming. She swung by the dealership today, forced it on me. You know they should put your face in charity infomercials. Target elderly Italian widows. Open your hearts in your kitchens, and you might save this sad man from scurvy. Yeah, well, I didn't ask for that. I don't want it. Too bad, Daniel bites out. You're taking it. Ma cooked it, and I'm not going to just throw it in the trash. He glares up at him. So you eat it. I can't eat it. Sam's decided she's a vegetarian now. After a moment of mutual glaring, Johnny abruptly decides to be the better man. He can be gracious. This is almost like he's doing Daniel a favor, after all. He puts his elbow out the window, casual. His chin tips up. What's in it? Chicken? Beef, says Daniel, eyes uncompromising. A shark smelling blood. Cannelloni. Uh, hi. Damn it. Miguel is home from school. Concealing a wince, Johnny looks through the passenger window at the approaching kid. Is that him, your student? Asks Daniel in an undertone. When Johnny glances up at him, his eyes are narrowed and thoughtful, assessing. Johnny half lunges out of the window and grabs a casserole dish from the man's hand. Go away! He hisses. He bumps the back of his head, receding into the car. But Daniel does not go away. Daniel rounds the front of the car, hand outstretched and ingratiating smile firmly in place. Daniel LaRusso, he says. I've known you're a teacher a long time. A long time. I'm Miguel, says the kid, and he shakes his hand. Then he pauses, peering at him. Have we met? I think I've seen your face somewhere. Daniel only smiles more, laughs a little like a total asshole, and releases his hand. He turns and waves once at Johnny and is gone again. Johnny twists and put the Pyrex in the footwell of the back seat, turning it so it won't slide around too much. By the time he has resituated himself in the front, Miguel has made himself at home in the passenger seat. Who's that guy? Swear I know his face. He's just got one of those faces, says Johnny, turning the ignition. He pauses, hoping. Did it make you want to punch something really hard? Daniel's face used to make plenty of people want to punch things really hard, specifically his face. It was a lot to handle, especially after Johnny switched sides, so to speak. But Miguel must not have a killer's instinct, because he only shrugs and shakes his head a little, bemused. That's okay. 
says Johnny, aiming for consoling. Try to think of something you want to punch. That's what we're working on today. Chapter 7 So I figured out how I knew that guy the other day, says Miguel, punching. What guy? says Johnny, even though he knows there's only ever the one. Miguel continues without clarifying, and that is almost spooky, like he somehow knows. He's Sam's dad, owns all the dealerships. Johnny tilts the training pads inward and lowers them a few inches. He watches intently as Miguel's movement hiccups before he adjusts and continues with the new position. Knows he needs the hook now. Good. After a second, he realizes what he said. Wait, you know Daniel's daughter? It was a mistake to ask. He sees immediately. Miguel's face lights up. Yeah. Well, I mean, not, not no. We go to the same school. We have bio together and also the same lunch period. And he says more, but Johnny doesn't need to be hearing that the product of the worst breakup of his life is, like, so pretty and smart. He really doesn't need that new entry of awkward in his life. He focuses on absorbing the power of Miguel's strikes, growing stronger almost by the day. He forgot what it was like being that age, the body nothing but potential power quickly leveled up, no limits in sight. It's pretty cool to see. And I'd like to talk to her, Miguel says. But she sort of hangs with a different group. Cool kids, Johnny mentally translates. And my friends, losers, said I don't have a chance. He's had enough of this. He blocks the next punch and uses the pad to knock the kid sideways, sweep his leg, and down he goes. Miguel has gotten a lot better at falling. He doesn't even groan this time. Okay, look says Johnny, standing over him. I really don't want to get into this crap too much, because this is karate, not a lady's lunch. But I can't listen to that kind of talk. It's an embarrassment to the dojo. And he really needs to find a proper space, because it's hard to call anything an embarrassment to a Methodist Bible study room. It does so much work on its own in that regard. Do you have any idea how hard it is dating a LaRusso? If you actually want that... You better get started now, because it could be a while before it pays off. And with such critical wisdom dispensed, he takes a step back and raises the pads. Okay, come on, again. Miguel climbs to his feet, shaking out his shoulders. His eyebrows are pinched like he's thinking, and Johnny probably needs to train him out of that. This feeling redoubles as the boy's expression clears, and he goes long and revelatory. Oh... Johnny thinks about sweeping his leg again. We're not talking about it. He makes a swing at half speed and the boy blocks it. He appears to be stifling a smile. It's weird. People don't smile at Johnny much these days. Basically, only the people he's known since forever. And even that's been increasingly rare. A few feet away, the kid's phone goes off in his book bag. Miguel throws a punch, resets, doesn't even look over. It's just my mom. I'll call her back later. But Johnny's looking, because wasn't that... Wasn't that... Rat? Says Miguel. And he grins when Johnny's eyes return to him. Awesome, right? He says, yeah. 
I went online and looked up Guns N' Roses and ended up going on this whole 80s rock rabbit hole. That shit is dope. He punches and Johnny is distracted, doesn't turn the pad quite right, ends up rocking back slightly. It's weird. Chapter 8 Turns out talking to Miguel about his girl problems was a mistake, because after that it's open season on Johnny's stoic, untouchable image. He goes from being the badass neighbor who can throw teenagers and won't hesitate to kick a face in, to a guy who dispenses, like, relationship advice. Not that Miguel is in a relationship. He's way too earnest for a teenage boy. It's just not natural. If he keeps it up, he's going to be a virgin at 20. And it's one thing to let the kid chatter at him about high school shit while they're training, but these things never stay where you put them. You get a little involved in other people's business, and before you know it, there's broken glass and smashed mozzarella sticks everywhere, and some guy is tearing the guitar off the wall at Applebee's and throwing it at your head. Other people, never a good idea. Johnny flips his phone open and stares at the empty text. He makes a face and closes it again. He nudges his baloney around the pan. He swears loudly and opens the phone again and navigates to Daniel's number. It's easy to find, right there at the top of the list of contacts. A for asshole. If he'd had a kid, he'd want to know if they were dating a douchebag with stupid hair who can't even take out one middle-aged dude who hasn't stretched beforehand. Like, probably. He doesn't know anything about fatherhood, but isn't this where Daniel gets the rifle or shovel or something? Actually, maybe Johnny really shouldn't say anything. Even after all these years, he feels a little responsible when it comes to the other man. Responsible for him or the welfare of the world around him, who knows? Because depending on his mood and recent sex life, Daniel might go ballistic and end up doing something seriously bad to the kid, and then he'd go to jail. And if Johnny's hearing goes badly, he might also go to jail. And what if prison does things alphabetically? They might end up sharing a cell and there's no way they wouldn't end up fucking again. Daniel would be a nightmare as a prison bitch. He'd get Johnny into so many fights. Also, what's it look like? Him nosing in on the other man's family. Daniel might take it as a sign or something. Johnny closes the phone and puts it back in his pocket. He flips the baloney. Fuck, he says, and digs the phone back out. He bypasses asshole in the contact list. Me. Daniel's daughter is dating a tool. Louis. Bro. Me. The kid I punched out. Me. He's dating her. There's just no way to discuss the dating habits of teenagers without feeling really stupid, he thinks. His phone vibrates with a new message. Louis. Why are you telling me? Gossiping about teens is weird, man. Dick, says Johnny. He stabs the buttons with his thumbs. Me. Tell Daniel. Me. So he can stop it or something. Louis. Aw, oh, bro. Me. Fuck off. There. That took care of it. 
and now he could stop thinking about the whole thing. Good deed done. He burns the baloney. <coughs> Lawyer. Did you see the paperwork I sent over? <coughs> Me. Yeah. <coughs> Lawyer. Did you read the paperwork I sent over? <coughs> Me. Will tonight. Busy teaching the kid how to kick. <coughs> Lawyer. You realize if you're serious about this business thing, you need to actually do paperwork, right? It's not all rolling around on mats all the time. <coughs> Me. You make it sound weird when you put it like that. After he pulls Miguel from the pool and they escape the school grounds without being caught, Johnny throws a towel at his head. He cracks open a beer for himself and leans against the trunk of his car. Overhead, the streetlight buzzes. It's quiet on this street. So what? He says. You've never gone swimming before? This is California, man. I know you're from Riverside, but that's still like only an hour from the beach. Miguel rubs the towel vigorously over his head for a couple seconds before emerging. He shrugs easily. My mom's really protective. She's always thought I'd catch something or that the lifeguards wouldn't be attentive enough. His eyes swing up into the pink night sky, thinking... Or that I'd cut my foot on a shell or some litter or have an asthma attack in the water and be too far away from my inhaler. Johnny is 99% sure Miguel doesn't actually have asthma. He would have probably passed out the first time Johnny put him in a headlock if he did. But who is he to dispute the word of a nurse or a mom? I get why you're not telling her about the karate, he says. He drinks a little, makes a face. But you probably should tell her. Miguel twists the towel around his ear, grimacing. Yeah, I know. My mom wasn't thrilled the first time she saw me fight, but she came around eventually. And it's good for your mom to see you can do something right. Miguel's expression flickers and, ugh, open season. Johnny shifts up away from the trunk and clears his throat, shaking the moment off. Come on, better get back. Asshole. What do you know about Kyler? Damn it, Louie, says Johnny. He's down to his boxers, about to go to bed. He considers not replying. <coughs> Asshole. Answer me, Johnny. This is my daughter. <coughs> me. Stupid name. That's what I think. <coughs> Asshole. But he was one of the kids you assaulted. You're sure. <coughs> me. Wasn't assault. Jesus. Me. He and his buddies were wailing on Miguel. Me. You would have done the same thing. Asshole. No, Johnny, I wouldn't. Me. Once. Me. You would have. Chapter 9 It makes sense to help the kid with his Halloween costume, because isn't the whole point of him teaching him karate him not getting his ass kicked? The moment Johnny sees the poor man's shower curtain, he feels the old instincts tingle, an itchiness in his fingertips. The kid is practically begging to be bullied in that thing, doubly since he doesn't even have the common sense to feel any shame about it. 
So it's totally within the bounds of his sensei role that he buys Miguel the skeleton getup and helps him with the face paint. Probably going to break out after this. Reflects Miguel, going cross-eyed to follow the black tip of Johnny's index finger. He can't believe he's being talked to about acne. God, what next? The kid going to ask him to teach him how to shave? Johnny squints at his jaw, looking for hair. Being badass requires sacrifice sometimes. He says, dipping his middle finger in the white paint. Man up. Miguel's eyebrows arch a little, but he nods solemnly enough. And when Johnny instructs him to close his eyes so he can get his lids, he simply does it, like he trusts him or something. What are you doing here? Johnny asks blankly. Sam goes to this school, says Daniel, eyeing him. Better question is, what are you doing here? Around them, teens roam and shuffle vaguely to the craft they call music these days. None of them even look like they've been sneaking drinks, and a lot of them are staring at their phones. This generation is so fucking lame. Picking up kids, he says. He pauses and puts his head back a little. That sounded weird, didn't it? Daniel only presses his lips together and nods. Then his eyes widen a little and steps quickly behind Johnny. Hand coming up to rub his eyebrow, hide his face. Uh, says Johnny. He starts to turn, but the other man grabs his arm, forestalling him. The warmth of his grip bleeds through the jacket. Daniel says a little urgently, Counselor Blatt's coming this way. Just pretend I'm not here. Ever since she realized about Amanda and me, she's been after me. I know I've always given you a lot of shit for being small, but you're not that small. Johnny looks around at the approaching woman. She looks a lot like someone he once knew from a court-mandated anger management group. Do I know her? Johnny, really? And it's weird having his voice right behind him like this. She was in our graduating class. Johnny Lawrence, she says, and her head cranes around him. And Daniel. Oh no, watch out. She laughs a little and wags a finger. No fighting, you two. It's always really awkward, talking to people who don't know about the whole ten years together, took vows thing. Johnny shifts on his feet. Daniel sighs and steps around him. Smile firmly in place. Hey there, he says, and you'd think he'd understand this from his job in sales. But if you don't want people hot for your boxers, you don't smile at them. It's pretty simple. Thanks for reaching out to Chaperone, she says brightly. And man, this woman really needs to cool it. Spying on his daughter, you mean, says Johnny low. He glances down and shuffles the flyers in his hands. I'm not spying on my daughter, bites out Daniel, but the venom fades from his voice as he looks around. Wait, where'd she go? Blatt's face falls slightly as Daniel brushes past her without another word. She looks around, clearly trying to hide her disappointment. She is one of those, apparently. Once Johnny would have gloated. Everybody wanted Daniel, but he actually had him. So... She says after a short, awkward silence. Do you have a child in school right now, Johnny? Did you have to do anger management a few years back by any chance? He asks, 
because he knows it's going to drive him crazy until he gets an answer. He puts flyers in all the main hallways and hands a bunch out to likely-looking students. Anyone who looks like they might be able to take a fist to the face without crying, basically. Daniel finds him again twenty minutes later, comes up to him in the hallway with his shoulders slumped in defeat. You kinda suck at chaperoning, says Johnny, smoothing tape over the edge of a flyer. Aren't you supposed to be inside the gym right now? Daniel doesn't even try to pretend to care about his duty. He leans a shoulder against the wall glumly. I think Sam hates me. I mean, she kind of hated me before, but now she really hates me. Johnny doesn't look at him, because after this many years, he has learned a thing or two about self-defense. What happened? Walked in on her and Kyler. And you punched him? He's almost impressed. He knew Daniel was crap at chaperoning, but that's a whole other level. What? No! He was... Look, it doesn't matter. She's pissed at me. Daniel sighs and rubs his face before dropping the hand. He blinks at the flyer on the wall. You're seriously going with Crossing Turtle? Yeah, why not? Johnny asks, finally looking at him now that he's stopped pouting. Figure I'll lure the pansy kids in with the name, get them thinking it's some soft, new-age, hug-your-neighbor shit, and then hit them hard with reality, like a wake-up call. He drops the elbow he'd mind throwing. What's that look? What? Daniel blinks and shakes his head, sucks on his cheek. Nothing. Nothing. Ten feet away, the bathroom door opens to crowing and whooping and some kid going, Oh man, that was brutal. Johnny and Daniel's eyes crash together. I don't want you ever coming near my son again. Do you understand me? The door slams at his back, and Johnny flinches before he can help it. A few feet away, Daniel catches the motion and quickly starts forward. Johnny steps out of the way of his reaching hand. He digs into his pocket for his apartment key, tries to remember how much beer he has in the fridge. Why are you still here? He says thickly. Want to gloat? Say I told you so. No, of course not. Daniel puts his body in his path again and tries to catch his gaze. He reaches up and curves his palm around his jaw, and then Johnny can't not look at him. Daniel's eyes are wide and soft, full of concern and completely unbearable. Johnny. Johnny, I'm so sorry. In a different life, maybe Johnny would turn into it, into Daniel, put his arms around him and bury himself in the other man, and Daniel would probably even let him, because he always did. He twists away from the warm hand and imploring eyes, looks at the ground and steps up to his apartment door. He thinks of Miguel limp in his arms, of his swollen eyes. Whatever. Bound to happen, right? They both knew he was going to fuck it up eventually. He just hoped he might last longer than a couple months. Chapter 10 Nariyoshi Miyagi 
June 9, 1925 to November 15, 2011. Beloved husband, father, teacher, and war hero. Daniel sat back on his heels and looked at the bonsai tree critically. He thought it looked better. The scar from the canker infection from when he let Sam try pruning it back in 2013 was barely noticeable these days, and the foliage was a healthy, vibrant green. Right, so that was that taken care of. No more putting it off. He imagined Mr. Miyagi waiting patiently for him to unload, like he was in his twenties again. No longer so quick to start ranting like he had as a teenager, but not yet confident enough to simply open up about everything plainly. He sighed and settled cross-legged in front of the grave, hands trailing through the crispy dead leaves. He squinted up at the late afternoon sky, swallowed a couple times. So, to recap, he said, clearing his throat around the words. It's always a little awkward at first. Uh, let's see. Sam called me a bully, and now she's not really talking to me. Amanda said she wanted to skip my week. She thinks I should back off a little, let her cool down. You know, Sam, bit of a hothead, like her old man. I don't know. Maybe I should stop trying so hard. But it, it just doesn't... It eats at me when things aren't right between us. I'm not sleeping right. I'm distracted at work. He took a handful of leaves and crushed them into a fine debris. He wished he wasn't alone. She's just got these new friends, and they they just really seem like pricks. I'm terrified my daughter's going to grow up to be an Encino brat, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. Everything I try to do just backfires, and also she's dating now. I guess all fathers struggle with that part. But the boy she chose, he's got stupid hair. He just seems kind of dumb. Speaking of, and that wasn't fair. If Mr. Miyagi was actually here, he'd look at Daniel in reproof. He didn't believe in insulting people, even if it was in jest. Even if it came fundamentally from a place of love. Johnny's not doing so hot, again. Still, you know, past couple of years, something's really changed and it, it almost feels final somehow. Daniel ran his tongue over the inside ridge of his molars and he tried to get a hold of himself. Mr. Miyagi would never judge his tears, but it felt stupid to get upset over such an old problem. Some days he felt like there was nothing inside him but loss. Mr. Miyagi would call that a balance problem, Daniel not heeding the people he still had. His eyes traced the lettering on the gravestone. He dug his hands into the lawn until the tips of his fingers hurt. When he first left, he said quietly, You told me to be patient. And I think, God love you, Mr. Miyagi, but I think that might have been the wrong advice. He hasn't gotten better. He's just slipped further and further away. You know him. He doesn't... 
He doesn't do well thinking things through. He gets stuck. Daniel thought of the closed-down misery on the man's face the previous night, after they'd brought his student home to his mother. Once, he would have trusted Daniel to take care of him when he was feeling like that. Even after the breakup, he turned to Daniel when Laura died. He hadn't shrunk away from his comfort. Recently, he's gotten this harebrained idea to start teaching karate. Johnny, a teacher. He laughed a little. Can you picture that? But anyway, I guess it was actually good to see him interested in something again. He seemed so... He seemed like himself, almost. Like his old self again. I guess that's over. And now I don't know what to do. Same old story. He doesn't want my help. Daniel blinked rapidly and put his bald fists into his jacket pockets, hunched down a little. He shut his eyes, blocking out the cemetery, and tried to picture his old friend beside him. The only reason he couldn't hear him was because he was listening, waiting for Daniel to finish. I really wish you could be here right now. He said, I miss you. The end of part one.